Good morning. Uh, the readings today come from Psalm 119, and that's going to be verses 1 to 8, 33 to 40, and 65 to 72. And then the second reading is Romans chapter 15, verse 4. So starting off, um, Psalm 119. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees, that I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Do good to your servant according to your word, O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted, that I might learn your decrees. The law of your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Now Romans chapter 15 verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Miss you all, but um, thankful for being able to communicate at least in this way and thankful to be able to share some thoughts with you this morning. So today we're continuing to look at um, resilience, how to build resilience during testing times. And in the past few weeks, we've already looked at certain key truths that we need to hold on to 
and also certain habits or disciplines that we can grow or introduce into everyday life. The habit of prayer, the habit of worship, the habit of giving. And what's been consolidated for me is that this approach to building resilience is very different, isn't it, from the many self-help programs that are offered to us by our culture. Because we're not talking about tapping into a potential within ourselves to make ourselves stronger. Christian resilience is about finding strength in God, the God of infinite resource and capacity. The more we trust him, the closer we are to God, the more resilient we will be. Now, this approach requires that I recognize my own inadequacy and rely on God's strength. But life, life with God isn't about being a spectator. That's also being impressed upon me week on week. And that is, I need to make the effort. I need to make the effort. Maybe it's because I work in a family business, but I often think of the kingdom of God like a family business. You know, God is the founder, he is the boss, he has the vision and the direction, and I work for him. But he's also my father. And as a child of God, he gives me a stake in the business. Now, I could take the attitude, this is my father's business, he does it really, really well, so I'll just clock in once in a while and enjoy the odd perk or two. But the thing is, my father really wants my input. He wants me to play my part. And he actually delights in giving me freedom to exercise my will and my judgment for the business. And he can handle my mistakes. What's important is that I'm constant in my love for him as my father, my respect for him as the boss, and my commitment to the enterprise. So I'm working, my life is working with and for my father, it's working with and for my family. And I'm not working for wages, I'm working for something that will ultimately be mine. I'm working towards something that is my inheritance. So today we're looking at another habit or discipline that will help us to live this kind of life. And that habit is reading the word of God. How to read God's word so it changes your life. The word of God is, well, it's the word of God. And it's an awesome thing. It's a serious thing. And saying anything about it is a serious undertaking. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that the Bible that we have open in front of us or on the screen or on the phone is your word. It's what you have chosen to say to us. It's what you have chosen to reveal to us. And we're so thankful for it. Without it, we wouldn't know things about you or your character. There are things that it tells us that we couldn't possibly have worked out for ourselves. We thank you that the Bible tells us about Jesus and about the immense love that you have for us through him. Holy Spirit, will you come and help us? Without your help, this book remains just another compilation of literature, but with your help, these words come alive. So Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts and open this book for us. Make it come alive and active 
and sharper than that two-edged sword. Because we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let me ask, what part does the Bible play in our lives? What part does the Bible play in your life? Maybe you have a habit of reading the Bible regularly, and if you do, how is that going? How is that for you? Is your time in the Word lively and rich, or is it a bit dry, a bit routine? Maybe you don't have a habit of reading the Bible regularly. Maybe you go to it occasionally when you feel the need to. Or maybe there are parts of the Bible you're familiar with and you kind of stay there and there are other bits of the Bible you've never ventured into and that, frankly, you steer clear of. What part does the Bible play in your life currently? Before we dive into Psalm 119 that was read out for us, let's consider another question. If we believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that engaging with it can change us, what kind of change should we expect? What does that change look like? To answer this question, I would love to tell you the story of King Josiah, and you can read all about him in the second book of Kings and also in the second Chronicles. In short, the key event in Josiah's reign was that he rediscovered the book of the law. That's the book we know as Deuteronomy, the book that contains the commandments of God revealed to Moses. So the book was found in the temple and it hadn't been seen or read for generations, perhaps the best part of 300 years it had been lost. But when the book was read to Josiah for the first time and he heard the words, he tore his robes. He didn't say, wow, it's such an interesting historical artifact. No, the word of God cut him very deeply and his instant reaction was one of grief and repentance because his forebears had not obeyed the words he was hearing. Josiah was then told in a prophecy that because of the sins of his forefathers, his kingdom will fall, Jerusalem will fall. But because Josiah's own heart was responsive and he humbled himself before God, because he repented, he himself would be spared the horror of seeing it. The fall of Jerusalem would come after his lifetime. That's what the prophecy told him. And here's the amazing thing. Even though he was told Jerusalem will fall, Josiah didn't give up. He could have said, well, the game is clearly over. There's nothing more I can do. But he didn't. He called his people together. He read the book of the law out to them and he led them in renewing their covenant with God. Instead of giving up on religious reforms, Josiah accelerated them. I think this is amazing how easy it would have been for Josiah to have heard the prophecy, returned to his palace, lived out his days in quiet devotion, and simply thankful in the assurance and comfort that he himself would personally be spared. Yes, God's word does bring us assurance in uncertainty and comfort in our troubles. And thank God for that. Thank God that his word is a constant daily source of comfort to us in our troubles. But if the only change I'm expecting from God's word is my own comfort, my own peace of mind, my own security, then maybe I'm missing something. 
listen to R.C. Sproul's commentary on Josiah. Josiah's response to the reading of Deuteronomy illustrates how we should respond. The scriptures should regularly call into question our assumptions and deeds, provoking us to repent for our faithlessness and to go forward in obedience. If we are never moved to change when we read the Bible, then let's ask ourselves if we have understood it. For God's word must always bring reformation when it is rightly comprehended. Repentance, obedience, action. If that's how the word of God can and should change me, is that my experience? And if, it's not my, if that is not my experience, how can I repent? How can I change my heart attitude so that I can experience God's word like that? Psalm 119 is an affirmation of the priceless treasure that the word of God is and the place it should have in our lives. If we read the whole psalm, it is the longest psalm. If we read the whole thing, even if we scan it, we can very quickly pick up some useful insights. First, we notice that the psalmist repeats over and over the benefits of God's word. And he also repeats over and over his own intention to live by it, to obey it. And that repetition is instructive in itself. To have the benefit of God's word, we need to declare our commitment to it. And we need to recommit to it over and over. It's as though the act of recommitment is itself a habit. We can note as well that the psalm is an acrostic poem, meaning that each of the 22 stanzas begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And that's instructive as well because this structure suggests that the psalm was written to be recited out loud and to be committed to memory even. Now the story goes that William Wilberforce did exactly that. He recited this entire psalm from memory as he walked home from Parliament through Hyde Park. So if you are after a challenge for Lent, surely that beats giving up chocolate. And then we also notice that the psalm suggests to us different ways of engaging with the word. There are many references to gaining understanding, in other words, studying the word of God. Then there are multiple references to meditating on the word, hiding the word in my heart. And studying and meditating are two very distinct approaches. And then, as we've said, it was written to be recited out loud. So we can try doing that. We can try reading the word out loud and seeing what happens, or listening to it being read to us. Right at the end of the psalm, there's a reference in verse 172 to singing the word. So the psalmist practices several approaches, studying, meditating, hearing, reading out loud, singing out loud. The psalmist is very practical. The psalmist is also a realist. In the first section we read out together, verses 1 to 8, he lists the many benefits of obeying the word of God. Verses 1 and 2, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. There is a promise of blessing if we take the word seriously. Verse 3, we will do no wrong if we follow his ways. Verse 6, we will not be put to shame. Verse 7, we will learn to praise God with an upright heart. In other words, actually in the words of Peter, the word of God gives us everything 
everything we need for life and godliness. So far, so good. But let's take a look at verse 5. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. And verse 8. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. There seems to be a kind of heartache here, an admission that, yes, I can list all the benefits of living by the word of God. I know it in my head, but oh, that my ways were steadfast. If only I were steadfast in obeying. The psalmist is a realist. We can declare our good intentions, but our lack of reliability, our flakiness is a problem. Does this resonate at all? It may be that, like the psalmist, you know the benefit of God's word. You might even think back on times you spent in the word, dwelling on it, and it was good and it was sweet. I know it. I can remember it. So why don't I do it more consistently? Why don't I do it more than I do? Why is it always easier to watch TV? Why do I go for the junk food when the finest affair is there on the table? In Paul's words, Romans 7.15, I don't understand what I do, for what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I do. That's the contradiction in us all. So what can we do about that? What can we do about that? Let's take a look at the second section we read out. Verse 33, teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees. Verse 34, give me understanding so I can keep your law. Verse 35, direct me in the path of your commands. Here it is. The acknowledgement that I need God's help. Teach me, give me understanding, direct me. And not just in my intellect. Verse 36, turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Lord, turn my heart to what you want and not what I want for myself. Verse 37, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Yes, Lord, please turn my eyes away from yet another movie. Yet another evening of browsing the net aimlessly. This is a prayer asking God to intervene, even in our desires. It's a version of what that desperate father, whose little boy was ill, said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. We're saying, God, I have some desire for your word, but I need more desire. I desire to desire your word. Help me. You know, we don't have to sit there waiting for desire or motivation to increase. We can ask, we can ask the Spirit to intervene. Holy Spirit, help me. What else can help? What else can throw us deeply into the Word of God? Let's take a look at the third section. And in it, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. And verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Some years ago, I had a very direct experience of the truth of these words. For a while before that time, I hadn't been very close to God. God was like a distant uncle I called on a few times a year. Anyway, I found myself in circumstances very much beyond my control, emotionally I was very low and it really affected my physical health and strength. Now, ever since I was a child, I've always taken great joy and solace in reading, reading all sorts of things. 
So in my very unhappy state, I thought I'd do the same, I'll read. So I pick up a favourite novel or a book of essays. And the only way I can describe it is to say that I couldn't stomach any of it. All the themes and preoccupations in those books, things that I'd loved so much before, suddenly seemed to me saccharine and strangely detached from reality. And I couldn't carry on reading. So I would try something else, something more casual, like flicking through a magazine. And I had the same reaction. I would try watching a film, all sorts of films. And again, I couldn't stomach it. I couldn't carry on watching. For about two years, the only thing I could pick up and read was the Bible. And every morning I'd spend about an hour reading first a psalm and then something else in the Bible. And then I'd write down my thoughts and I'd write down my prayers. And I must stress, I must stress, this wasn't piety or discipline on my part. I was absolutely compelled to do this. I had to do it. That hour every morning was milk, was pure milk, and I couldn't have carried on in the day without it. And yes, of course, I went to the word day after day to find comfort for my sadness. And I did rely constantly on the word to give me peace in my turmoil. But beyond that immediate pain relief, God was doing something else. I remember reading Genesis, the words jumping off the page, the characters larger than life. These characters living incredibly flawed, incredibly complex lives. And through their mistakes, God was showing me very gently where I had gone astray. And through their stories of redemption, God was holding up to me the hope and the promise of a future. God was really using his word to rebuild me, rebuild my foundations. And very slowly I became to come out of my introspection and my previous preoccupation with living a settled, comfortable and convenient life. I began to read more and learn more about the love and the grace of God, which has always been present from Genesis all through the law and all through the history of the Israelites. Grace has always been present and how it came to a fulfillment in Jesus and what he did and how it is present now in what we do and the lives we have. And the more I read, the more I became excited about the kingdom of God. And I really wanted to be a part of it. I really wanted to be part of my father's business. Those two years were in many ways the worst of times. But as far as my relationship with the word of God went, it was the very best of times. And since then, my engagement with the word has had its ups and downs, and sometimes I really, really struggle. But there are some constants that help me to make the effort. So let me share them with you. The first is to have a plan. If you don't already have a plan to engage with the word of God, make one. If you have a plan, but you find it's getting really stale and routine, then review it. Decide how often you're going to engage with the word. Decide how long. Decide how you're going to do it. You know that verse on giving that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Decide in your heart what each one should give, what he's decided in his heart to give. That applies here as well. Make a decision in your heart about how you're going to do this and then do it. The second is to diversify. 
we've already learned from the psalm that there are different approaches we can take. Some of those approaches are best done alone. I think meditating on the word is probably always done alone. But it's also really effective to read the word out loud to yourself or to sing it. Find a song that is full of scripture and sing along with it and see what happens. Other approaches can be done with others. And I love doing in-depth Bible study with other people. It's much better for motivation. It's much better in terms of encouragement. You know, Rupert's Monday and Wednesday sessions at the moment are really good. They're 15 minutes of pure gold. And I really would um, recommend them. If you're in a home group, volunteer to lead your Bible study. There's nothing like um, leading a Bible study to get you into the word. And diversify as well in the parts of the Bible you engage with. You know, bits that you've never ventured into before. Find those connections. Find the thrill of seeing the thread of God's plan working out through the Old Testament, the New Testament and into our lives. And then finally, pray, 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 pray. Like our psalmist, keep asking God for help. Keep asking the Spirit to bring the word alive to you. Because without his help, really, they just remain words on the page. But with his help, these words become living and active in us. And the last suggestion is really to use scripture in your prayers. I think this has been the biggest constant in my life of in recent years to pray scripture back to God. It really sharpens our prayers when we first see what God has written for us. And it really helps us to avoid the shopping list approach as well. So pray scripture back to God. Romans chapter 15 verse four. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May it be so for us. Amen.